0: We'll and Welcome to another edition of Television, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. Our host, Keely, you're joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We're back. We didn't have a show on Sunday. Ryan had some flight problems, so we canceled. Sorry about that. We got a lot of inquiries about it, so apologies, apologies. So I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about, including USC's matchup against Utah in the Coliseum. USC's had some trouble at home, so we'll see if they can right the ship on Saturday. We have some updates on the coaching search. We've been updating the hot board, so we'll get into that. And we'll talk about USC's nose tackle depth. We finally get to talk about it. Max Gibbs has made the switch to the defense. Dante Williams said it's a week to week thing, but it's interesting hearing what the coaches had to say about his transition. As always, you can call us 512 4 Tunnel. Our intern, Micah, is standing by. We love hearing from you guys, so please do that. Also, wherever you're watching, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, put your comments, questions, concerns, and we'll try and answer your questions as best as we can. We'll put them up on the screen, including tweets. Put hashtag television, and I'll put your tweet up on the screen. Guys, like I talked about, we didn't have a show on Sunday, so we didn't get to recap USC's win over Colorado in Boulder. Now we're looking ahead, USC-Utah. Ryan, how are you feeling about this matchup?
1: Yeah, this is, uh, you mentioned, USC's had some trouble. At home, get the first win against San Jose State. Uh, You know, it's an afternoon game, but the two night games, whew, it's not been pretty. Stanford and Oregon State just putting a butt whooping hey, on the Trojans. twelve
2: after dark is scary. Okay, it gets
1: a little scary. October,
2: spooky, scary
1: for the USC offense, for the defense, for special teams. Utah, though, they never won against USC in the Coliseum. It's been a while, Uh ever. It's never happened. So <laughs>
2: it's been a while, ever.
1: I think yeah, they were. I think they even <laughs> lost in like nineteen sixteen at some field somewhere. Uh, I do believe they beat UCLA at some point when they were playing in the Coliseum, but that wasn't USC. So what's going to give USC's troubles at home, Utah's inability to win? Now, we know USC's never lost to Colorado. They kept that streak going. This is the, the other mountain streak. This is the, the Utah and the Coliseum one. It's a three-point spread. I don't know. I mean, the whole Pac-12 is topsy-turvy upside down. We know there's two bad teams. I mean, not bad. Absolutely terrible. The rest of their teams are probably bad. But there's two terrible teams in Utah. I mean, sorry, in Colorado and Arizona. And the rest is like, I mean, almost anyone can beat anyone any given day. Like, we just don't know. I don't think anybody's really that good. Who's the best quarterback in the Pac-12? Like, is there a great quarterback in the Pac-12 right now? Like, I don't think there is. Open up the
2: comments. Somebody's going to say Jackson Dart. but
1: They'll probably say (laughs) that, yeah. I know. like, you said Keaton Slowis. He was preseason Pac-12, you know, first team. But people... Follow USC would rather see his backup come in and play. So I just don't know. It's just not a great conference right now. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen in this one.
2: Uh, DTR should be in that mix too. Um, Jaden
1: Daniels. You know. Jaden
2: Daniels. But it can, those two guys are, you know, how they play determines whether the teams win, basically. Uh, so, you know, and they haven't played great at times this season. So those two guys can carry their team to a Pac 12 South. Title and Anthony Brown doesn't have to do as much. They're going to rely on the running game, but Oregon—he's bad. T- took some huge hits today. CJ Verdell out for the season. Um, their safety as well, Barrett something uh, out for the season as well. So uh, losing one of their top playmakers, one of their starters on, on defense, along with already having issues. They've had with some Justin defensive injuries being yeah. out, and Gavon Dimido is going to be out the first half of their game, uh, their next game. So for targeting. Yeah, they they gave away that game at Stanford. Yeah. So it, it's very interesting because Oregon, if they run the table, they still will get into the college football playoff, even when that loss at Stanford. Uh, and getting Joe Moorhead back is going to be huge for them. Obviously, he missed the last game with with uh, an illness of some sort. Uh, so hope he gets healthy. But yeah, it's just uh, complete unknowns. Uh, I was talking to him on radio earlier today and talked about how remember. I think it was week two, we we're like, oh man, the Pac twelve South is definitely gonna take over the crown for the Pac twelve this year because the Pac twelve North looked terrible. Yeah. You know, they lost four of the five games and Oregon escaped against Fresno State. A week later, <laughs> everyone in the
1: Pac twelve South looks terrible. Right, so. how
0: did you describe it on the podcast today? Hot garbage? Is There's a lot said. of
1: hot garbage. And it's it's like the margin for error. Is very small, so I was. T- I think we were talking to Keeley today on the, uh, pod- the Pac-12 podcast. I mean, no, I'm sorry, the Peristyle podcast. We <laughs> do a lot we? of podcasts. <laughs> it's
0: you. you, you and me. Yes, um,
1: it's sort of like you know Stanford comes to the stadium and like the center has like the sniffles, like the whole team could fall apart. Like we just don't know. like there's the margin for error. Like any little thing goes wrong. Uh, I mean, Oregon could have won that game if like ten different things went the other way. You know, Joe Moorhead being out, that the phantom call, the untimed down, all that stuff. Like, there's a lot of things. It's
2: not a phantom call. They should have thrown a flag
1: to two previous plays as well. Maybe they're done But that's Pac-12
2: refs. You never know what they're going to call one way or another.
1: But I just don't feel like anyone – like, remember, you know, when Pete Carroll and USC was rolling, it's sort of like you could come in and bring your C game and, like, squeak out a win. Like, the problem is with all these Pac-12 teams, like – If you're not playing your best, you just could lose. It just, it doesn't matter. Like there's no one, like, even if you have a lot more talent like Oregon or USC, it just doesn't seem to matter, you know? And, um, you know, Utah's got a great secondary. It'll be interesting to see how they play against, you know, Drake London. Are they going to just double team him all the time? Are they going to play man? Are they going to play zone? Uh, We're not sure. I mean, their offense, Utah's offensive line has been pretty bad. USC's defensive line has eight sacks or whatever on the seat or the defense has eight sacks. All those are in two games, so I mean, what are they going to get some sacks on Utah? Are they not? Are they, there's some interesting matchups here, but it just it could go in any direction. I think
2: I wouldn't go anywhere close to calling their their secondary great. I mean, their their 2019 secondary was terrific, and that's the one that they had all the that NFL guys. Yeah. Matt Fink torched, and I think that I think that gives them much more of an idea that we're not as good as that team. That team got torched. We're not going to do what we did that season. Okay. Um, now Clark Phillips, I think, is a phenomenal player. Mr. Pick Six. He had another one last week, I think it was, against Washington State or two Two weeks ago. ago. Um, So they've had a streak of something like 18 years now because he's got one. He got one at the end of the season last year and then one this year. So to keep that alive. But they've had injuries with their safeties. They got three safeties that were banged up last game. and They don't know, you know, we haven't got an update if those guys are going to be back or not. I'm assuming they will be. You'd think with the bye week. week. Uh, But, you know, what is Utah going to look like? What are they going to look like as a team as just their mentality after what they've gone through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With Aaron Lowe uh, you know, being shot and killed um, two weeks ago. How are they gonna react to that? And this is the second time in like what is it, eighteen months or less than that, twelve months, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it
1: was Christmas last year. Okay, so. so
2: twelve months, you know, ten months that they've had two teammates pass away and Aaron Lowe takes on the number twenty two after Ty Jordan. Good friends from Texas from the same area. The I seat. just don't I just don't know how they'll react. Yeah. Um, and, uh,
1: you know, there was an arrest this week too, so they no, they really, arrested. The, yeah, they arrested the shooter. Um, so I mean, that could have an emotional impact. Yeah, exactly. Like-
2: and that's the thing is, with any any kind of big change, I said the same thing with when USC fired Clay Helton. How are they going to react? Are they going to come together as one and us against the world, or is it something that festers and you know there's a split or whatever it may be? And I don't think it's necessarily a split in the locker room of Utah, but. You know, some of these players have never dealt with something like this. Some of them have, you know, some of them have dealt with, you know, some deaths in the family or whatever it may be. But others, at 18, I never had anyone close to me pass away. So, you know, how does that that first time it happens, how do you react to it? And you don't really know with this, you know, that age group, you know, because there's such a volatile maturity levels of 18 to 22 year olds and, you know, how some guys are super mature and, other people don't mature to look 26 or 27. Yeah. So, how is that group going to be? Do they come together? And I think it depends on the leadership in that locker room. And that could be in question because they brought in a ton of ta- transfers. So, do yeah. they have a strong yeah. knit? And, you know, is it strong knit in the locker room? Don't know. So, I'm really curious to see how they come out. And there could be a big hang- hangover effect, just all the emotion to begin with, you know, as you're warming up. And, you know, I'm sure USC will have a moment of silence or something. They're gonna you
1: know. have some kind of sticker on helmets and yeah. all that stuff, you know. Like. Does
2: that affect you early or is everyone locked in because of it? And they come out and just, you know, gung ho the entire time? Don't know. And and that'll be a big thing. That could be determine the, the game, especially with how close these games have been between USC and Utah. That's yeah.
0: what I was going to say. Usually we don't even know what's happening in the USC-Utah <laughs> game, but add in a, a tragic event, and it really throws in, a wrinkle in the mix. The last two games played in Los Angeles between the two teams has been decided by an average of four points. So very close, and I believe the line is three right now, Ryan? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, last, uh, we, last I looked, it was three points, which is, you know, pretty crazy and you're looking at this it's you know obviously dealing with a tragedy it's crazy you're talking about on the field too um who was starting the quarter like charlie brewer comes in transfers from baylor he's their starting quarterback gets benched and walks and says i'm out and just transfers out of the program he's like okay i'm gone um oh, now you you got don't cameron
2: i don't want you anymore then we,
1: usc <laughs> got to see cameron rising two years ago and knock they end up knocking him out of the game last but year he's, Or was it last year? Yeah, 2020. Last year. And then, uh, you know, we'll see what he looks like. But
0: I mean, Todd Orlando talked about it this week. He has experience with him because of their date,
2: both of them at Texas.
1: Yeah, he was, you know, yeah, being in a Texas and then Texas ended up playing Utah in the bowl game. Like, there's a bunch of connections there.
2: And Cameron Rising was at Texas. Yeah. So he knows (laughs) that, you know, I've seen him on scout team or I've seen him, you know, in in practice. So, yeah, it's going to be super interesting. And I would not come anywhere close to betting on this game just because, one – USC Utah things can get weird, but also just with all these other factors, like I don't know how you look at it and go, yeah, I definitely think USC is going to win by three, or I definitely think that Utah is going to win. like it, it just seems like there could be so many possibilities happening in this game. So. Yeah,
0: when talking to USC's defense this week, they were talking about how scouting Utah running is going to be an issue for the defense. That's something that plagued USC against Oregon State. I know Colorado wasn't the greatest opponent in the world that USC faced. Shotgun, do you think that they solved their issues up the middle, or is that still going to be something that they need to work on?
2: I mean, I think it's still going to be an issue. Uh, they were able to stop the run against Colorado, and that's what they're good at, but they're super one-dimensional. So they did. They talked with, um, I think Vic Soto said, I think Dante Williams also said, they changed some coverages up in, in the back end. Uh, from what they have been doing, so that helped confuse uh, a young quarterback like Brendan Lewis. So with Cameron Rising, are they going to be able to do that? You know, they want to be able to play man coverage across. Looking at their receivers, you know Theo Howard, a former UCLA uh, receiver who went to Oklahoma, is now mm-hmm. at uh, at Utah. He's a speed threat, but their other receivers don't really scare you. Brendan Covey, when he gets the ball in his hands, can can be scary because you know he, he's dynamic as, as kind of an elusive guy, but. There's no one on that roster you're like, oh, that guy's going to be able to beat us deep or that guy's going to be able to do this. So I, I think they'll be confident they can play the man coverage and try to stop the run, put all their you know uh, forces forward in that regard. But it, it comes down to that. If you don't stop the run, then the play action becomes such, uh, such a weapon. And that's what killed USC against Oregon State. It was they couldn't stop the run, and then Oregon State was able to build the play action off of that and were able to get those tight ends wide open and stuff. Yeah. So um, it, it starts with stopping the run. They did that against Colorado, but – uh, big questions, especially with Raylan Goforth being out the first half. Yeah, he played really well before he was out of that game uh, last week. Uh, you know, he made he was ended up finishing second on the team in tackles. I think, even though he missed almost the entire second half, and he played really, really well, probably his best game against Utah last year. Mm. He had like eleven tackles, I want to say. Oh, yeah. I think he had eleven, and Kanai had twelve or something like that. So both of those guys in the middle really had a big impact. And Kenai had a big hit early. They really kind of set the tone him, for yeah. them. And, you know, if they put Ray, Raymond Scott in there, Raymond Scott's been struggling, at least according to the pro, the pro football focus grades. And that's not his specialty. He's better out in, in coverage and stuff. So, you know, when, with a team that wants to run downhill, can USC stop that run? And, again, that, you talked about Utah's offensive line. They have not been good at all. No. and Which is kind of surprising because you got Nick Ford in the middle. He's a, a veteran guy. I think he's a fifth or sixth year guy. Um, and they're just known for being able to do the type of things they want to do as far as a run game and stuff. And they have not done it all this year. They made some changes actually with the, the uh, offensive line a, a couple weeks ago. They gave so. a bunch
1: of sacks and stuff too. So that's why that's what it's going to be interesting to watch because USC definitely been feast or famine when it comes to getting the quarterback. And that could be a huge difference in the game. I think two years ago it was USC really just scoring a whole bunch of points and everything and you know that just kind of the blitzkrieg of all the, the the long passes and stuff that Matt Fink unleashed but I don't think you're going to see as much of that this year so if you can get pressure on the quarterback if you can stop the run game uh you know what you saw at Oregon State when they were able to run the ball the passing game became much more efficient because you could do the play action stuff Nolan just looked like he was dealing and just was you know he had a pretty bad game against Washington last week but you're able to run the football as effectively as they were. It opened up everything in the passing game. And you can make things easy on Utah or you can make it hard. And I think if you're making it hard, making it hard to run, get some pressure, and it, you sh- USC should be do well in this game. But if not, if they're running the ball at will and, and this offensive line that's been beleaguered get, kind of gets their stride, that's going to be problems for USC.
2: Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, remember Drake Jackson did have the, the safety uh, in the end oh, zone. Yeah. It's our intro. Um, and that's... Part of the reason that game changed was remember Zach Moss got hurt in the first half, yeah, oh, yeah. and that game changed because they weren't able to run the ball as effectively. Uh, coming into this, Micah Bernard, who I guess you would call their their top running back. I mean, they got three guys that have kind of split the carries. He's was banged up last game. Is he going to be available? He's a guy that pounds the ball a little bit more. TJ Pleasure is a smaller guy. Went to Shavonon High School. Went to Oklahoma. Transferred, um, and then they got Chris Curry as well, a little bit bigger back. So can USC tackle? That's going to be a big question mark. Yeah, you know if they don't tackle in the run game, then it's going to be a long night. And they have struggled tackling the last two weeks. I mean, they thirteen and fourteen missed tackles. I think the last two games. So that's something. And I don't know if you guys would agree, but I felt like throughout fall camp and even continue now, I feel like they've done more practice with tackling, just more practicing drills and stuff. Um, But. It hasn't translated the last couple of weeks.
0: I mean, I asked Todd Orlando straight up because he was asked a question about tackling. I said, do you feel like it's regressing the last couple of weeks? And I didn't mean that in an offensive way. I just think that USC has put an emphasis on it and has been better in the first couple of weeks. But I also asked, is it an opponent thing somehow that you're not tackling as well? And he denied that they, they're regressing. He says, we we work on it every day. But it was interesting. He said it was kind of like a confidence issue he he made it sound like if you don't know what you're doing out in space then the guy behind you doesn't know what he's gonna do based on what you're doing and so he said you know the first guy needs to be confident because if you have that second or third guy come in the odds of then making the tackle go up way higher so I think it was interesting just his explanation about confidence I mean how does that happen basically towards the middle of the season shotgun
2: worn down a little bit i think that's part of it um you know as the season goes along and you know those hits that you've been accumulating you know, it just it you wear down uh, and i think that uh, that can play into it and you know like all right I gotta tackle this big dude again you know if you got a uh, whoa if you got a Toby Gerhardt or something that you're you're facing uh, and you're trying to tackle him that changes your mentality going into it as well so uh it it, it all plays into you know look good feel good play good if you're yeah. playing good, it breeds more confidence. You go up and you're making more plays and you're flying around like a Talanohufunga know was last year, you know, just making plays all over the place because you're playing with a ton of confidence. So I think it's something that, that breeds upon itself.
1: Yeah. I think, I mean, football is a physical game. It's blocking, it's tackling. And I think we've seen some teams come in and bully USC, you know, Stanford came in and pushed them around. I think Oregon state came in and pushed USC around. Yeah, you know, okay, the Utah offensive front maybe not as good as before, but this is still a tough physical team. And they're going to test you. They're going to try to punch you in the mouth. And are you going to be able to take the punch and, and get back up or punch back? And I think that's one of those things where it's it the mentality of your football team is Dante Williams gonna get these guys ready as much as he possibly can to be able to be go toe toe and be physical and you've got better skill plot, you know, the guys and stuff, but can you you know, not get pushed around. And if things go a little South, do you kind of you kind of fall apart and just let them, you know, get, get pushed around more. So I, I feel like that's going to be a key to this one. It's just, you know, it's like a gut check. Like, Hey man, they're going to try to push us around. Let's see if we can push back.
0: Well, there's a lot of talk this week about USC's record in the last four games. The fact that they're two and O on the road, but O and two at home and embarrassing losses at home to add to that. And uh, we talked to Raylan Goforth. He said that Dante Williams has been playing, I guess, iconic moments in the Coliseum each day to the team to kind of get it in their head that they need to protect the Coliseum. But also we've heard some different changes that Dante has made. I mean, uh, we saw the the sprints from USC on Tuesday. He yelled at the team on Wednesday. And then he talked about this morning in his Thursday press conference, some changes he's making to the home uh, pregame routine, both on Friday and Saturday. Shaka, what did you take away from that?
2: That. He's switching things up. I mean, something we asked for for four or five years in a row, it felt like uh, when things aren't working, are you going to just stick with it and, hey, our routine will get us through? Or are you going to make some adjustments? And he said he, he doesn't feel like the team has been locked in for the home games on Fridays. He wants them to be locked in on Friday. So it, instead of, you know, eating at the, Galen, the little Galen Center on campus and then going through a walkthrough and then going to the hotel, they're, they're changing the plan up. They're going to go to the hotel. They'll eat a a team dinner at the hotel. So you're all eating together, one big room. Um, I I think that just kind of, you know, with the coaches and everything, we're a little Galen, you know, piecemeal a little bit, it feels like. Um, And then they're going to do a walkthrough instead of like in the lobby or in the parking lot like a lot of teams do when you're in the hotel. They're going to go to a a local high school, and they're going to go to the high school and do their walkthrough there. You want some just, you know, more focused, So making some adjustments there. I think the – calling them out on, Tuesday, on Wednesday, you know, you guys are flat, you're, you know, flat AF, as we'll <laughs> say, um, you know, and the the players that we talked to said, yeah, that woke us up. And we went out and it changed the the momentum of practice, uh, you know, making everyone run on Tuesday. I think all these small things are, you know, I, I mentioned it on the podcast, Tuesday, we recorded it before practice. The family feud podcast was, you know, your, your pull, a, your pull a player for a, a play is not working. You know the pull a play um, tactic That's for strategy. a penalty. Yeah, yeah. It's just not working. You got to do something different. But what does he do? What Tuesday after practice? I don't know if you listened to the Family few podcast. Maybe he did before <laughs> practice, and he said, Hopefully "You he know right, You know what? Shotgun. You're right. Uh, I'm going to make an adjustment." And the entire team, the athletic trainers. The, you know, Brendan Sossin, the chief of staff was there. He had to run. Everyone had to run, um, which I don't know why Ryan hasn't been punished for forcing us to miss tunnel vision on Ooh. Sunday.
1: I could run. I'll do some pushups or something.
0: <laughs> we can put the overhead on and you can do pushups while we answer I do, questions.
1: But, yeah, we'll do that. Uh, I do love the, the change. And the, the problem, I mean, there's a lot of issues with the, the Clay Helton era, but it just was routine. This is what we do. This is what we do Tuesday. This is what we do Wednesday. Well, guess what? If it's not working, this is what we do before home games. If something's not working and you got two clear blowouts at home, hey, let's change our routine heading into the home game. Seems fairly simple. Seems like common sense. And something that wouldn't have changed over the last six or seven years Dante Williams recognizes like, we're going to do this different. Like you got to take this seriously. We're going to be at home instead of everyone just kind of casually eating dinner and going to take a nap or whatever you want to do. Now we're all together. We're going to go up there and then we're going to do our walkthrough at a high school. Like we're going to get your attention that it is game weekend. Like you're, you got a game coming up. We're not going to let you just be kind of at home and being casual. And now it's going to be like more structured and going out there and doing the thing. I love that stuff. Is that big? It's not huge. But I think it's going. It's something that's small that can make a big impact. Like you are still dealing with 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old kids, right? Like this is what, you know, just think of yourself when you're growing up. Like if, Your parents or whoever can have a significant impact on what your day is like and telling you what to do if you're doing something else. So you expect this. And you kind of know, I can I can skate through this. I can do this. And then they change it up. And you're like, oh, crap. Now I got to do that. It's just something that's like a little bit different. And I think it's it's a small thing that can have a big impact. And I I would applaud uh, Dante Williams for trying. Like, maybe it doesn't work. I don't know. Maybe they play worse. But I feel like you've tried something. You've done something different. And that's all you can ask. I mean, he's the interim head coach. That's all you can yeah. ask. He's trying to do something to impact how the team thinks about playing in the Coliseum. It hasn't worked the last two weeks what they were doing. Let's do something different. Uh, yeah I, I think that's great.
0: Yeah,
1: I'm curious though,
2: you can go too far. It becomes too much of a disciplinarian, totalitarian. this is the way everything has to be done. and you take the fun out of football, you can be in trouble. And you know, Michael Trigg, very energetic guy, Dante Williams has been on him riding him pretty hard um, because of some of the things he's done, which deserved, sure. But there's that thin line where you can't take the fun out of football. Because if it becomes a job, you're going to lose everybody on the team. Um, and I, I'm curious, and maybe we just haven't heard about some of the things. But if they're doing anything to kind of spice things up in a fun way as well, uh, because that was one of the things that Pete Carroll did is what did so well. He was keeping your, you on your toes on the practice field, but he was also doing things that really you know would lighten the mood as well, and you know that keep everyone you know in good spirits. Because just talking about tackling it can be a grind. And maybe they'll do something next week during the bye week or something to try to lighten things up and, and you know, get the players, you know, give them, a re-energize them a little bit at the mid-season point. But that is one thing to, to keep an eye on. Just, it, it could be, you can get to a point where it's too much and even as an interim coach where,
1: the players are just like, I, I can't take this anymore. Yeah. You could lose the team. and yeah. I don't think he's to that point. No, but, no yeah. I mean,
0: I think the team definitely respects him. And I think he understands. I think he's very smart when it comes to relationships, which makes him a good recruiter. Um, but I think that the team also needs that. I mean, the whole thing we heard was that there was an accountability. So I think in some ways this is a, a course correction, I, and I know you're saying, Shotgun, that you got to be careful to not course correct too much, but mm-hmm. so far, I think it's it's good, and we've heard that from uh, Nick Figueroa. He said, you know, I think we needed it, that we didn't have someone calling us out on our BS before, so I think, uh, for the most part, it seems like a, a welcomed uh, discipline, if you will.
2: Exactly, but I'm just saying, you you got to be careful to toe that line and not go too far and take the fun out of it, because football should be fun. True. Even though it's a violent sport, you're hitting other people, or you're trying to destroy other people. There's all these war references and battle references that are mentioned all the time, but it still needs to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what's fun? Beating the other guy. Sure.
0: <laughs> you know what's also fun? Live callers. Yeah. We have a Full queue, so I'm going to jump to it. I, I think everyone can guess who our first caller is on the line. It's our buddy Dave from Iowa. Hello. Oh, I thought it was going
2: to be Dante himself.
0: You're live on television. Dave? Hello?
2: Hello. Can you guys hear me? Oh, there we go. Yeah,
1: yeah. Wow. Well, first off, you know, Dave from Iowa. Second, uh,
2: was there an earthquake in LA? Because Ryan said talent doesn't matter. So I expect uh, every single reason for you know his game predictions to not include talent. But the main things I wanted to talk about: since Stanford upset Oregon, Ryan, do you still think that Stanford's a bad team after they beat two of the top, uh, the two of the top most talented? Teams in the in the conference, and then shotgun with Iowa being number three. If they up if they beat uh, Penn State this year, do you think that Kirk Ferentz could be on could actually be on the uh, coaching candidate list for USC? Just saying. I mean, hey, like I said, two, like I said a week and a half ago, all the stuff he does at Iowa, we need that at USC. That's all I'm saying.
1: Thanks, Dave. Um, first of all, I didn't say talent doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like I mean, it's funny, like people just like, he said talent doesn't matter. Like, yes, I never said that. That was not. Uh, was, check the tape. Yeah, Ryan, check the tape. Ryan always says stars matter. Stars definitely matter. Um, no, we talked about this on the, the Peristyle podcast. Um, the whole Pac-12 is pretty bad. That's what we talked about. Stanford is not as bad as thought. I said coming into the season, Arizona would be terrible. Colorado would be terrible and Stanford would be terrible. Mm. Two of those teams are terrible. Yes. Oh, I said they were butt. Like, yes, you don't, you you don't reversed, like me saying that. You reversed your butt <laughs> status. Right. My picks against the spread this season are butt, more than Stanford. Stanford's <laughs> not butt. But just <laughs> because Stanford beat Oregon, no. They're, like Stanford's not a great team because they haven't beaten any great teams. Like, USC's not a great team. Oregon's not a great team. Like, they're just – it's the, the Pac-12 is pretty blah. And Stanford got a couple of teams. I mean, they still got blown out by a bad Kansas State team that just lost their last two games. It's not – but they're not as I thought they would be in the same realm as Arizona and Colorado, and they're definitely not.
2: Yeah, I don't understand Stanford at all. <laughs> they don't make any sense to me. Um, I, I think Tanner McKee putting him in has been has invigorated the offense some, um, but they don't have that tight end that they usually that they usually have. They don't have the NFL prospects lined up one, two, three at tight end like they normally have. They just lost Bryson Tremaine. Uh, who was a former walk on fifth or sixth year guy?
1: But like one of their best players. But one of their know.
2: best players <laughs> destroyed USC. Uh, and John Humphreys has been their offense and they haven't run the ball as well as they could. So I don't really understand Stanford. Yeah. Somehow they're winning,
1: though. I still don't think they're that great. And Kirk Ferentz, no. Like he's just, he's an Iowa dude. He's not going to.
2: Yeah, I think that if you're just looking at resume and what he's done, I don't think that's a bad place to look. But I just, it will. Be very difficult for me to see him leaving Iowa. I think he's a yeah. lifer. I think he his name will be on the stadium or whatever. He'll have a statue or whatever in the future. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. All thanks, Dave, for the call. Let's go to our caller in the queue, Kyler from Pennsylvania. Hello, you're live on television. Hello,
2: hello. My hey, question Kyler. is, um,
0: we just we I am sick sick of supporting these. I'll just call out and say bums. USC should not be bums. With the talent they got, they should not be bums. We should be able to get almost any coach we want.
1: Okay. Uh, is there a specific coach you were asking about? or So
0: before in the queue, his question was if USC can afford not to sign a coach before the early signing day.
1: So ideally, so the timing is very different and stuff now. Now USC does have an advantage by getting rid of the coach early. You have several months lead time, but you can't really make, it's more about prep. It's kind of like studying for that exam longer than you still have the, the exam date's still going to be about the same time. And I feel like it's going to be tough to make a move unless you're getting somebody like a Chris Peterson, who's really not working right now. So there's an opportunity there, but uh, I mean, I think you're shooting for like early December. Give yourself a couple weeks before signing day if you can uh maybe just after thanksgiving i think that's an ideal case uh you know cuz you're getting people that are you know doing their jobs right now but um I, I don't think you can worry about you you would like to do it before the early signing period starts so you know that's a big that's a big deal but the most important thing is getting the right guy
2: no you have to do it before early signing period you know, i don't see how you can not do that if you're going to get
1: like a coach that, Last for twelve years, and you know it's going to be he's going to win like three championships. I don't really care if you miss it the first signing day.
2: I mean, if you put him in a hole with no talent, they've already tried to do that with the twenty twenty class. You can do it with two of the two of the last three classes. I mean, that makes the rebuild that much more difficult. True. So,
1: but I think Dante Williams can do a good job putting a class together. But you're right,
2: yeah. Maybe I, I think when you as you get closer to that early signing period, and if you're a commit. Now, maybe you just push it back and say, oh, maybe I'll wait until. But, you know, Michael Williams, five-star defensive lineman, he's not waiting around. He wants to sign when he wants to sign. And so if Georgia and Alabama and everyone else has come calling, you're like, well, we think your defensive line coach might be this person, or we think your head coach might be this person. He's going to be like, no, I'm going to go where they're competing in the college football playoff this year. So you, you need those difference makers. You know, Pete Carroll was able to get a couple, but he also had Carson Palmer when he got here. Yeah. You know, you need difference makers on your roster to be able to turn things around quickly. Now, if you think USC fans will be happy with three years of ineptitude and seven and fives or something, and you think they'll let that slide to get to that twelfth year for whoever comes in, then you're a different person than I think you are.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think they still have an okay class, but the most important thing to me is you get the right guy. And the ideal timing is you get them before the early signing period. But if it if it's something like we're going to get whoever you want, James Franklin, your number one guy, or is Luke Fickle, whatever, but we have to wait until December 16th. Like, I think you do that. I mean, especially if you can have someone set up and announced.
2: If you can announce it, it's, different, it's different. But yeah. it can't just be a big question mark, I don't think. Yeah.
0: All right, let's go to our final caller in the queue. I believe it is Curtis from Marino Valley. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision.
2: Hi, everybody, and Keely, thank you for the great introductions that you (laughs) give me when I call it's the best introduction in the podcast business.
0: (laughs) Thank you. You need to give her a raise, Ryan. (laughs) Hey, listen to Curtis. Curtis, hang up on him.
2: uh, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I want to talk about Maximus Gibbs, who's switched from Offense to defensive line, I just turned the show on, so I don't know if you talked about it already, but it looks like they're going to use them on goal line situations. Could they possibly bring other offensive linemen that aren't playing? They're on the bench. They have the body size and man coverage. Do you guys think Utah is going to be stupid enough like they were the last time they came to the Coliseum and play man? What do you think?
0: Thank you, Curtis.
1: Thanks, Curtis. I don't know if there's any other real candidates to to move over. Um, I don't think
2: anyone's listed at 390 pounds, so Mm. I think he's the only one there for that as far as just the mass. Uh, There's no one that really has a background. Gino Quinones is the only one that played some defensive line in high school off the top of my head. Um, I don't know if I'm missing someone. Actually, I think we saw him do some scout team team work, but I don't think that's going to be the move. I think that the reason, like, Max wouldn't even be the move if he was 300 pounds. It's because he's just so large, and that's what they're missing so badly right now. They just have no mass there. So that was one of the things. And he's been super surprising. I think everyone you talk to, it, their eyes light up when they talk about him. You know, any yeah. of the defensive staff, any of the players on the defensive side. Because not only, he, and it's it's so interesting, I'm writing a story on him right now, but he's he's a people pleaser. He just wants everyone around him to be happy and he's a very shy kid. Like when I interviewed him the other day, he was kind of backing away from me the entire time. (laughs) He speaks really softly but then you get him on the field and he knows when to turn it on and he turns it on and he's he's just super physical. He's hard to move and they're giving him very simple tasks to start with, and they're trying to build on that. And that's one of the things that Vic Soto said. He said he's a sponge; he's just soaking up everything. We're trying to make it really simple for him, but he's you know taking everything on. He's been great with how he's gone about it. He's in his playbook. He's doing all those things. Nick Figueroa said that you know that he's in his playbook and, and doing that. And it's it's so interesting. They're standing side by side, Nick Figueroa and, and Max Gibbs, and no one's interviewing Max when I was coming over, so I wasn't sure if he was done or not. But he was just kind of hanging out and listening to what Nick Figueroa was saying, and then when I started talking to him, I said, you know, it, it's interesting, one of the things we've seen is all the defensive players get really excited when he makes a play in practice. It's really cool to see, uh, and I asked him about that, and he said, he's like, yeah, that gives me more motivation, because these are the guys I look up to. These are like, you know, he didn't use the word, but he's like, these are my superheroes, these are my role models, that's the word he used. Yeah. And so he's talking about the guys and how how they're his role models, and He's trying to play for them. Basically, he's trying to get their approval and everything, and just trying to be that people pleaser. And he's doing that. He's he's been tremendous over there. I've been so impressed. I was not expecting it to do any you know be any notable thing there. But his strength is so different than what I anticipated. Yeah. Um. He's not only is he huge, but he's been super strong. Yeah. I mean, he's a big boy, and it's hard to move a big boy at times. But if you don't have any strength at all, you get t- tossed around. Even if you're four hundred pounds, you know someone. Um, you know, like Andrew Voorhees is gonna be able to toss around a four hundred pounder if he has no strength. But he's 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 put in the work in the weight room, he's down p- around fifty pounds, is what everyone says. Dante Williams said he he's he's lost around fifty pounds and he's still a solar eclipse. So he, he's, he's a huge dude. And not only is he in was he in that goal line package and did his job there, and everyone noted you know that he did his job, and if they fit fit it correctly with the linebackers, it would have been a stop, or he would have been able to make the stop. Todd Orlando said he came to the sideline, kind of had his head down, and he was like, what do you get your head down for? You did your job. And, like He was upset that he didn't do more on that play. Uh, yeah. But he's like, no, big boy, you did your job. We're going to get everyone else around you doing their job too. So uh, really interesting there. But I think he's going to continue to – we saw him get some first-team reps this week. So maybe he gets some action against Utah you know, and not just a goal-line situation. So really awesome story. One that, like I said, I didn't expect to be a story after seeing him over there last week. I was like, oh, we'll see. He's temporary. They'll move him over from some scout team. But the strength has been there, and he holds the point of attack. He did that against uh, Colorado, holds the point of attack. They have to bring a second guy to try to block him, and he still kind of <laughs> stalemates with them there. So we'll see you know, how he continues to progress and what that means for this move down the line, if that becomes a permanent thing. And I think part of that will be Ishmael Sopstra when he gets back. You know, When does he get back? Is Brandon Peely available for them in the future? I think there's a lot of factors that will play into it, but just an awesome story right now to see and see everyone glowing. Yeah we're talking about they love love him
0: they love him not only as a player but as a person Todd Orlando was raving about just how great of a person he is and how good he is for the the room itself uh, on the defense so uh, cool to see that story develop for sure and thanks for the call Curtis and thanks for the the nudge on the raise Ryan we'll get an answer from you later
1: (laughs) (laughs) Curtis you're out
0: (laughs) (laughs) let's jump into some questions first one is from Sneaker Kid who said Shotgun Ryan and Keely do you guys have a sense on when Bone and Sosna will hire a new head coach I know we talked about this with the early signing period but do we have a sense?
1: I mean, they haven't said anything. I, I mean, the sooner the better, right? Like, you want to do it as soon as you can. I would, I would guess that you're talking about, you know, they're shooting for like late November, early December, I would think.
2: Yeah. I mean, as soon as they can, they will, but your best coaches aren't going to be available right now outside of Peterson and Stoops being retired. Um, and then maybe if Urban Meyer gets fired, you would say he's in the mix, but. I think that ship has sailed. Yeah. I know a lot of people are talking about it in the comments and stuff, but do not. Yeah, it's just Sorry. a continuation. The latest thing that happened over the weekend is just continuation of everything around Urban Meyer. Been so too much, yeah.
1: too much mess. It's yeah. a lot of mess. USC can't afford mess right now. And I know. look, I was an advocate for Urban Meyer. I was like, dude, he would win. I mean, he's a he's, you know he's a championship coach, and you sort of overlooked some of the red flags. Well, he's put a whole bunch more red flags. <laughs> like he was great on Fox. Like. I felt like that was sort of like a rehabilitation thing where like he was on Fox, an amazing analyst. He goes back into coaching and you're seeing more weird stuff than we even saw before. And he's only four games into his tenure. So I think that makes him untouchable. And I know some USC fans are going to hate that. I'm sorry. Yes. Just as a coach, he's great. But there's a lot of other baggage that goes with Urban Meyer. And I don't think USC can afford to do that. My gut is they would not touch him with a 10-foot pole.
2: As, yeah. a, as a college football coach, he is great. Let's say college football because not doing so well in the NFL. No. But as a college football coach, he is great. However, he isn't being hired to be a college football coach. He is being hired to be the highest paid paid employee at a university, to be the face of the university. So it goes much more than what can you do X's and O's. Yeah. If they're going to hire you and pay you 8 to $10 million, they're going to be asking for a lot more than, hey, can you, can you beat Stanford? You know, can you not get embarrassed by Stanford? That'd be a better Good start step. for, for USC. Uh, yep. But, you know, it, it's much more than just, you know, what can you do with wins and losses?
0: Mm-hmm. Andrew on YouTube said, do you think Todd Orlando brings more pressure this week against a mobile QB?
2: I don't know that I would call Cameron Rising mobile. Yeah. Maybe you call him. He's not a dual threat for sure, but you, you could probably call him mobile. Um, I think look back to what they did last year. You know, they brought a lot of pressure. Um, in that game, and they were able to get to Cameron Rising, confusing the offensive line a little bit. Now, the big question is that was early in Todd Orlando's tenure, and we've seen the second year teams have just uh, been able to adapt and been able to see some of his blitzes more on film, and then you know better be able to pick them up better. So, can they just win some one-on-one battles? That that would definitely help them. Uh, but I think they'll bring pressure, Todd Orlando he's never going to shy away from that. That's always oh. going to be yeah. the way he goes about it. So I don't think that's anything. It'll never be a question of like, do you think Todd Orlando might blitz a couple times this mm-hmm. game? Yeah, I think so every time.
0: Does Todd Orlando breathe yes. similar? <laughs> we got a question from Oscar on Facebook who said, when is Corey Foreman going to make an impact? Is he overwhelmed?
2: Corey Foreman actually was one of the top six defenders um, in the pro football focus grades this week. Actually, all six top defenders were Drake Jackson, if you want to include him as a defense lineman, and five other defense linemen. So um, the pass rush was fantastic last week. They also stopped the run. But Corey Foreman was a part of that. Now, he didn't get a sack. He didn't have that big breakout play yet. He still hasn't got that. But he's been close a couple times. He's got some hit quarter- hits on the quarterback. And I think that he is starting to understand what he needs to do to prepare as far as repairing his body at practice. And that's the constant thing that we hear from Vic Soto and from you know Dante Williams when he's asked about Corey Foreman is that he's gonna Vic Soto always says he's gonna play as much as he can take. Mm. So that means preparing his body as many plays as his body will allow him to take because he's been banged up, but also preparing his mind and as many plays as he can take mentally, you know, whether it be a different formation from just the pass rush unit, um, you know, he's gotten some opportunities as just being thrown in there, and hey, you're going to start this drive, and you know you get the get the those opportunities. So if those continue to grow, that's that's what you're looking for. But he's he's close. He's been close. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a, a big play in the next couple weeks.
0: Mm-hmm. We got a question from Jasper Smith, who wanted to know who will emerge as USC's number two wide receiver: Michael Trigg or Gary Bryant?
1: Gary Bryant's caught a touchdown in the last three games. Um, Michael Trigg got points basically in the second half. So I think it's still Gary Bryant Jr. But Triggs, a, you know, tight end. I think Trigg can maybe do that kind of Corey Foreman. I mean, not Corey Foreman. Oh, my God. The uh, Drake London role. <laughs> it's been a long day. A lot of talking. A lot of
0: talking. There's minutes, been a lot of talking.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, like that Drake London role uh, two years ago when he was a true freshman. Um, I think you can do that where he'll fill in. And I think USC needs some of the other veteran or more veteran receivers to step up and be like the number two, number three guy. And I think you can do a lot of cool stuff with Trig. I just don't think he's going to end up being like the feature, or like, you know, he won't be like the Robin to Drake London Batman. I
2: don't think that's his role. Ideally, what his role is is Drake London as a freshman. He was number four. You know, there's yeah. Michael Pittman, Tyler Vaughns, Amon Ross St. Brown, and then you could go to Drake London in the middle. Um, so that made USC that much more difficult. They need to find that extra outside guy. Now, if Trigg. They want to line up Trigg outside all the time. They could, but he's been in the slot the entire time. He's not lining up outside. So they need to find a second outside guy, whether it be Gary Bryant, whether it be Taj Washington. I like the things that they finally did with Taj Washington. Get him the ball early. Get him the ball in his hands. Run him some of those wide receiver screens. We saw that at Memphis. He was dynamic in that. Let him use his vision. He's got really good vision for a wide receiver. His maneuverability and create some yards after the catch instead of throwing the deep ball over and over. Um, So I think that getting him going was big because I think that was a confidence boost for him too. After that Oregon State game and the drops, I think getting those catches and getting in the rhythm gave him a little bit of confidence. But Gary Bryant's the guy that changes the offense for them outside of Drake London. Drake London changes everything, but Gary Bryant changes what happens to the rest of the receivers. Uh, Drake London is... Literally, that's the question I asked everyone this week, uh, and had Keely and Chris ask as well: Is what is Drake London doing to impact the defense you're seeing? Because everything has to change after Drake London gets his first couple catches. Yeah, because everybody's like, "Yeah, we got a plan." You know, the whole the the old adage: Everyone's got a plan until you get hit in the mouth. Yeah, everyone's got a plan until Drake London smacks you around. Yeah, yeah <laughs> with a couple of catches, big going up over somebody. He had five more contested catches in that game against Colorado. He was five of six on contested throws. He's now got fourteen for the season the next closest person in the nation has 8 wow <laughs> and he just had 5 and he's had two games this season with 5 so he's he's ridiculous but he changes everything. Colorado was like, "All right, we'll put two guys on him early." That didn't work. They tried single coverage with a high safety. That didn't work because as soon as they did that, that's when you got the trick play to the other side. Um, they tried to keep the safety over the top, kind of bracket coverage. That was Keontae Ingram's fifty-three yard run. He runs right up the seam, and the safety's just sitting over here, and he goes right by him. That's the guy who ended up making the tackle way down the field. But uh, that's what he's doing for the offense. But Gary Bryant opens things up as well for Drake London because now you have, you know the fourth and nine play two people jump on Drake London, Gary Bryant over the top. And I would like to see that pass play a little bit more, you know, the, the post route to Gary Bryant or to Taj Washington, let them run under the ball uh, a little bit more with that, that post instead of a, just a one-on-one fade ball.
0: What's interesting is because I was asking that question for you, Shaka, and I was talking to Clay McGuire about it and he mentioned how, uh, excuse me, Michael Trigg could be uh, the Drake London of the other side of the, the formation. Do you see that happening or evolving?
2: I think you saw a little bit of that in, I believe it was the Oregon State game. Um, was that the game? Yeah, at the end of the first half where they were the two-minute drill, Trig had a couple catches. They couldn't double Drake London. They couldn't get the safety over the top and keep him over the top of Drake London because you had Trig in the slot running a post route or something. And he's dangerous, so we got to keep somebody over the top. So I think that opens up things a little bit for London if they put him on the same side. We saw that a little bit in the two-minute drill at the end uh, they started with when he you know dove for that ball and came out, but that's something that'll keep interesting, and that's the thing they need somebody on that other side to open things up, and that's why I think it needs to be one of those wide receivers though, and you can do different things with them because Tre's going to be in the slot, and uh, you know that kind of shortens the field of you know what you're trying to open up. That's more taking the safeties than some of the other things a little bit wider. So we'll see. He can become that weapon, and I've talked to Seth Dagey about him in the last couple of weeks, and he raves about him. He says but he's got a long way to go. Yeah, He said he's got to mature, and that's one of the things. It's a maturity process he's going through right now, and that's the penalties. That's the you know stuff that Dante Williams is upset about, the potential excessive celebration or dropping the ball too soon, which, again, as I always say, is the dumbest thing of all sports is to drop the football before you get to the goal line. <laughs> um, but I think you're seeing – the you're scratching the surface a little bit, not even seeing the full potential. But he's going to be a really dynamic football player, college football player, um, and I think we're seeing a little bit of it. And my favorite thing that that uh, Steadie said last week, he told me actually. He said, "You know, he's great off the field. Everyone, he's so charismatic. Everyone loves him. He's you know cheering with his teammates. He's the first guy to to congratulate everybody." Yeah. He said, "But when you line up across from him." He wants to kill you, <laughs> and then this week he told me he said when he's between the lines he's ruthless, and I was like, "Well, that's a that's an interesting term to use." Uh, and I asked for an example. He didn't have a great example of him just like you know destroying someone like Drake London kind of does on the outside. He's he's ruthless out there. That one in a catch was ruthless, uh, but I I think he he said. One thing we got to get is to make sure he's ruthless between the whistle. Gotcha. So, mm-hmm. so that's the one thing. that It's just it's a maturity process for him, and I think you're going to see – you're seeing him get, start to get more playing time, and that's only going to continue, I believe.
0: I mentioned this on the podcast, but since we didn't have a show on Sunday, I asked Drake London after the Colorado game. I was like, do you even get surprised by some of the catches you make? And he was like, that one-handed catch did not expect that. So I thought it was funny.
2: It's nice. ridiculous. I don't know if you guys watched Trojans Live this week, but he said, yeah, I kind of lost sight of the ball. Like what? Yeah. He's like, yeah. I just put my hand up, and I saw the trajectory, and I kind of put my hand there, and expected it. So he basically made a no look catch, <laughs> no look one look handed catch, catch yeah. on a ball. He said that Keaton Slovis threw pretty hard because of the back shoulder, uh, and the guy wasn't you know really over the top on that one. So. Great play there. And he just continues to impress. Yep.
0: We got a question from Brandon on Facebook who said, what's the key to victory against a well-coached Utah team? And I'm actually going to jump in with another question similar uh, from your favorite five head who said, uh, Utah has some good tight ends. What goes into stopping them in the pass game?
1: I think key to victory, like when we see USC's defense play well, they get some sacks. I think they got to do that. I think you got to get two, three, four sacks in this game. And I think if you get something like that, you're going to do okay. Uh, I think USC is going to get their points. Uh, To me, it's going to be more on the defensive side of the ball. Don't get pushed around. Don't let Utah run. And if you can get some pressure on the quarterback, you get pressure on rising, I think they get a few sacks, I think they're going to be all right.
2: I think it starts with a run game on both sides. Um, I think that Utah can become very one-dimensional if USC can stop their run game. And USC, I think that they they showed last week they were very balanced. They, They had 33 rushes. They had 30 dropbacks. And that, I think it's the first time we've seen them run more than throw and hmm. maybe the entire Graham Harrell. I would have to go back and check. Um, era at USC. But I, I think that if you look and see there's five guys in the box or six guys in the box like they were getting from Colorado, run the ball and run the ball and run the ball more. Look at those chunk yards they were getting last year and how much that opens up everything else as well. So I think if they stick with the run, which they didn't do against Oregon State and they still could have, their run game has been good the last two games. Just give it a chance, and you know if they can get those yards going. I think the offensive line is playing much better than it was a year ago or two years ago under Clay McGuire. So, and they're continuing to develop those young tackles, especially.
0: We have a question from Jasper Smith, who said, "Since Raylan Goforth is out for the first half, will John Davis get some run?" I asked Todd Orlando how they're prepping for that, given that uh, Raylan is usually the starter, and he said he's going to keep the answer in house. So, I feel like the obvious answer is it's going to be Raymond Scott, but.
2: I mean, they could surprise us, but Raymond Scott's been the guy that's rotated with Raylan Goforth, so I don't know why you would expect it to be anyone else. They haven't really played. The only other linebacker that's really gotten any reps with the first team is Tuasebi Nomura, and that's been in special kind of goal line style packages, big body packages.
0: Um, I'm actually going to go to, we have a couple callers in the queue and then I'll come back and do some rapid fire to wrap up the show. So let's go to our first caller on the line. It's Dr. K from Salt Lake. Hello. You're live on tunnel vision.
1: Hi, thanks for taking my call. It's Dr. K from Salt Lake city. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that, um, not, I don't watch NFL that often, but I have really enjoyed seeing Sam Darnold, uh, these last couple weeks. And he's actually a little mobile, and he's not dropping the ball when he was with USC, but he's doing extremely well. I guess my question for all of you is, is USC going to go towards a more mobile quarterback? And we've seen some a little bit with Jackson Dart. But um, what what are your take on the future of this, or do they maintain and do we stay the same quarterback for being protected, passing, and protecting themselves uh, so they can get into the NFL? Hey, Dr. K, thanks for the question. Yeah, Sam was mobile at USC and, you know, I think there's some of the turnover problems he had. It was just more of the gumbo offense he was running. It's just pretty much the offense was whatever he could do uh, with his legs and arms and, you know, getting away from pressure. And he was awesome at getting away from a sack and not just like running out of bounds and gaining two yards, but. Keeping his eyes downfield and finding somebody open and getting a chunk play. And you're seeing more of that now. I think there's two parts to this question. One, 2021, well, if for whatever reason Jackson Dart has to come in, then you will have more of a mobile quarterback. Otherwise, you're not going to. But from 2022 and beyond, it's going to completely depend on who the head coach is and who the offense is. So that's, uh, it's really, you know, who knows what that's going to be. You just don't know who the head coach is going to be, what kind of offense they want to run. If it's, if it's running something like they're doing at Oklahoma, yeah, you're probably going to get someone that can run around a little bit. Um, and if you're running you know, something that they would do at Michigan maybe, then it wouldn't be that way. So I don't know. It just depends on uh, what they get. But if Jackson Dart's the quarterback of the future, he will add that mobility even no matter what the offense is.
2: Yeah, any mobile quarterback adds a different element to your offense, but there's very few mobile quarterbacks that are also good passers. Um, I mean, look at Adrian Martinez in Nebraska. That was a guy, I think he was in the same class as, I can't remember who, which USC quarterback, maybe Sears or uh, maybe even um, Slovis. I can't remember how old he is. But a lot of people were clam- clamoring for him. He's a uh, Bakersfield area, I believe, quarterback, maybe Fresno. A lot of people want, oh, we need this dual threat, we need that. He just hasn't developed as a passer, yeah. and that's why of their offense struggles at Nebraska is that he can make some plays with his legs, but he can't do the things you want a quarterback, a true quarterback, to be able to do. And that's the danger. There's not there's not that many Kyler Murrays out there yeah. or Baker Mayfields. And that's why you see those guys going in the top ten in the draft. Now, USC is the type of program that could recruit a player like that. They had one committed who's the Heisman favorite right now <laughs> named Bryce Young. And the thing that Bryce Young does really well that is a danger for quarterbacks is that he didn't take off to run whenever there was an opportunity in high school. It was a last resort for him. He wanted to throw first. And that's the thing you want from a dual-threat quarterback is someone who's looking to throw first. Let me use my legs to create a longer opportunity for someone rather than let me create my legs to create the big play itself.
1: Yeah. Sometimes you got a guy with – I mean, it's Lamar Jackson, like ridiculous legs that you're just like the fastest guy in the field anyway. You know, if you take off a few extra times, that's okay probably too. But, but there's a danger doing that. But that's know?
2: also why he has been developing as a quarterback still in the NFL is – that the passing side of it and being willing to stay in the pocket a little bit longer and not have those antsy feet. And he's done a really good job maturing uh, from his time at Louisville because, you know, when you have lesser talent around you, that's the first thing you're like, I'll take over and I'll do the, I'll run, make the yeah. play myself. Um, and now when you get the NFL and everyone's talented, it's a little bit different.
0: All righty. Thanks Dr. K for the call. We appreciate it. Haven't heard from you since November. So thanks to hear from you again. Let's go to Roy from LA. Hello. You're live on television. Yes, kudos to the uh, crew at Tunnel Vision. You, you you folks are great vision, great insight. I appreciate it. My question is, what happens
1: when we do pick a top coach uh, for the team? What happens to all the
0: good
2: coaches that we already have?
1: Are they going to be let go? Some of them are great.
2: Any opinions on that?
1: Thanks for the question, Roy. Yeah, thank I you, mean, Roy. So obviously, this depends on who you get. If you get a offensive coach, less likely some of the offensive assistants that are already on staff would probably stick around. You get a defensive coach, probably the same thing. Um, I mean, it might come down to fit recruiting. If it's someone like if you hired like Luke Fickle from Cincinnati, just you know throwing a name out there, and he brought you know seven guys. Well, if you if he brought his defensive line coach, then Vic Soto is probably not going to be around. But if he didn't, and the defensive line coach was going to go to Clemson or something, and he's like, well, okay, I need a defensive line coach, there would be a candidate there. So there's just so much on the table. My guess would be more coaches would not be retained than they would. Um, you know, Dante Williams being the interim head coach, being the the, the ace recruiter on staff, probably the most likely that would would stick around, but. I don't think, I mean, I think everyone right now is on USC staff knows that they're auditioning for their job, and if they have a great, you know, end of the season, that gives them a better chance, whoever the next head coach is, to want to retain them.
2: Yeah, it depends on the relationships uh, a coach already has, whoever they do hire, just like Ryan said. uh, Going to Urban Meyer, I mean, he brought some guys with him every single stop, from Bowling Green all the way to Ohio State, and the time off in between, and so... You know, does a coach have a certain guy at a certain position or whatever? Then he's going to bring that guy. But it, usually, the over/under is probably around what two, two and a half of coaches that are retained. That I would, would, be, guess, that would yeah. be my guess. And sometimes a zero. Sometimes it's completely clean staff, and that could be the directive from the administration. Sometimes the administration is trying to say, "Hey, we would really like it if you keep this person." And sometimes the administration is like, "You got to keep these three people or whatever," and that. That can sometimes lead to bad situations, but it, it all depends on the administration and the coach coming in.
1: And it depends on the coach coming out too. Like if this is a disaster and it's pretty much a blow it up and start again, which True. unfortunately for USC it is, that makes it harder for these assistant coaches. But if it was like, Hey, you know, this guy left for a better job. So you're bringing in somebody and yeah. there's reason to stay. But when you're like firing for terrible results, it makes it tougher to retain the assistance.
0: Yep. Yep. Thank you, Roy, for the call. We appreciate you. Let's jump back into questions and go into some rapid fire. Justin Smith said, "Does Dejon Benton get more reps on the interior defensive line? He seems to get upfield a few
2: times." Not necessarily against Utah, but and maybe not Notre Dame as well. But he's definitely working his way into to getting some reps. I think he's more suited for kind of the spread systems uh, with lighter. Offensive lineman, just because he's a lighter guy himself at the nose tackle position, the defensive tackle position, so uh, he is getting some good opportunities and made a couple of nice plays in that game, including the fourth down stop.
0: We got a comment on YouTube that said, uh, "Trojan, Trojan, how do we activate Ultra Beast Mode for Drake London?"
1: I mean, I don't know what could be better uh, than what you've seen. Uh, he already gets like half the targets. He's made, you know, two of the like two of the best catches you would see, like. In a you know a month of Pac-12 football, he did it in like a minute's time. You know, in one game, uh, the only catch that was better was that was it the Jackson one for Washington State where he did like a yeah. three sixty. That was pretty ridiculous, but it's still, You know, I mean, he's already beast mode, but I guess you could. Yeah, he was it. on. He was
2: on. You got Mossed this week for, <laughs> for the catch before the touchdown, which he could be on that segment probably every week. They could probably yeah. d- dedicate one spot for him. Um, I think when his eyes get wide and the tongue comes out, I think that's ultra beast mode maybe. So. Yeah, maybe. I don't know.
0: I, I don't know. Ultra beast mode sounds very scary considering what we've seen in like normal mode, I guess. So <laughs> I don't know if we want to activate that. Maybe that's him
2: just like walking on people. Instead of jumping over, he just like puts his foot on top of their helmet. Or like go.
0: back flips while catching something. I don't know. Who knows? Truck Ranger says, uh, do Ryan Keely and Shotgun think that Harrell's offense is more successful with a running quarterback?
1: Uh, I think the air raid itself is. Not necessarily yeah. Harrell's. I know. I mean, I think any offense yeah. is, like if you're a good quarterback, but you can also take off and run. You uh, can't
0: plan for that.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. It
2: changes the dynamic because you're seeing teams put two or three guys on Drake London. Well, if you had someone like Kyler Murray back there, you have to keep a spy in there at all yeah. times. And that just changes the, what the defense can do. Um, so, yeah, it definitely changes things there as far as what you can do with the, the read option and stuff as well. Not that you want to necessarily run the quarterback a ton, but you that opens up that option.
0: Jordan. Jordan said, who is bigger, Max Gibbs, Zach Banner, or Damian Mama?
1: Uh, That's a good Max, question. Max Gibbs, I think. Well, like, mm, mm, mm. Banner's taller. He's 6'9", and he was up
2: to 370, 380 pounds at one point.
1: But I think Gibbs was heavier still.
2: He was, but he's not anymore. If he lost 50 pounds, he's listed 390. He's around okay. 340 to 350, I would say. Uh, Damian Mama was 400 in high school.
1: Yeah, he was the big. But he player.
2: was much shorter. He was like 6'2,
1: 6'3. Yeah, that was a different. That's a great question. It, his weight was distributed a little bit differently. True. Yeah.
0: Uh, we got a question from actually, I'm going to put the question about from the screen. It's from Brandon who says Has Keontae Ingram taken over as the number one running back?
1: Yeah, like the, the plan was 1A, 1B. Now there's one and maybe 2A, 2A 2B, 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 right? Yeah. Like, cause that was last week, at least. Darwin Barlow, you know, uh, had as many carries as. As, uh, um, oh, I'm a Oh my God. Like, what is my brain is he's been around mushed. for six years. You just know his name. <laughs> right? You gotta remember his name. It's like, hey, Vi. Uh, yeah, I, I love the way Barlow ran, but Ingram's like, I think he's made himself the clear number one.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that it, it'll be interesting to see what happens from here because it yep. was truly Ingram got twice as many. Snaps as the other two guys. The other two guys combined got as many as Ingram, and the other two guys were basically one snap away, if I remember correctly. And they both had the same amount of carries. So, you know, how does that get distributed? Are they going to look at it and say Vi is our third down guy, third long? We're going to use him in pass protect to catch the ball in the backfield. You know, Ingram has struggled in pass protection. Do they have to take him off the field for those type of situations? A lot of questions there. Now Ingram's much better when you take him out to pass, but are you going to say? You're going to tell the defense, okay, every time 28's in, he's either getting the ball or he's going out for a pass. He's never going to stay in the block. So if we can overload with a blitz, you know, we'll be able to get there. These are the questions that Mike Jenks has got to figure out right now.
0: Marcus wanted to know, what about Anthony Lynn as head coach? He was in L.A. for three years, so he has some type of
2: pull. Ryan, this, this doesn't fit your criteria, does it?
1: Anthony Lynn? Hasn't been a college no. coach. Yeah, he's not been a college coach. Uh no, that was a well, – I think Keely and I talked about this on the Peristyle podcast. Um, this is like an an agent thing. That's uh, – you put your name out there. Put the feelers out there. I don't think there's any real uh, interest in Anthony Lynn as the head coach at USC.
0: Speaking of coaching options, we got a question from Brandon who said, would Brian Kelly be an option from Notre Dame? Oh,
1: I can put that up on the screen. Did it is up on, on nice. the screen. Oh, right, nice. Great. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't even tell you. It was up there. Uh, this name – people have brought this up before, like even a few years ago. You know, He did his full-on – uh, fire the whole staff, go from four and eight, and uh, you know made the playoff a couple of times. It's just one of those things. Like he's had a long run at Notre Dame, that gets tiring after a while. And would you just want to switch? Um, I don't know. I mean, there there might be some issues hiring a uh, you know a rival coach, but it, it's someone his resume I think would be would be great for USC. But yeah, that's a tough one because it's a rival. You know, I don't know. Do, would you rather have someone? That you feel
2: like like is a plateau coach, as in he can get to the playoff, but I don't know that he's ever going to win a national championship. Or do you want someone who's a little bit unproven, but maybe he can reach the higher levels? Like yeah. that, that's a tough decision. Um, and I'm not, I don't know if Brian Kelly's necessarily a plat- plateau coach. I think if he. Has one more piece here or there, that maybe he can compete. But they've been blown out so many times in the playoff that makes it hard to believe that.
0: Also, it's like an asterisk considering that they're independent. It's not like they've made the playoff through a tough college or tough division, if you will.
1: I mean, they yes did in the no. ACC last year. So. I know, but still, it's it's one of those things too where there's a lot like the Penn State job. Like, it's a great job. It's a blue blood job. Like Notre Dame's a blue blood job, but the path to the playoff and the path to a national championship is easier at USC instead of being the third best team in your division, right, you're going to be the top team in two time zones at USC. So uh, I think there's opportunities there. And even, you know, USC might be easier to win a championship than Notre Dame is right now. So,
0: Trojan Trojan wanted to know, Jackson Dart had some limited practice this week. Any remote chance he can play this weekend? Or realistically, it won't be until the Notre Dame game. No. <laughs> I mean, maybe
2: Notre Dame. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe. After, after the bye week, maybe. Um, we'll see how he progresses next week during the practices and stuff. But definitely not this week. He you know, basically just stood and threw some passes. He didn't move at all. Yeah. And that's I, a key element to his, his game.
0: I would say practice is used very loosely. Uh, Fivehead said, with Oregon suffering two season-ending injuries today, is Oregon State the clear favorite in the North?
1: I think Oregon State's a clear favorite anyway.
2: We're We put Oregon State A little is, spice
1: in my chest. We put them in as number one team in the power rankings. You, okay, USC lost to Oregon last year. Oregon State didn't lose to Oregon. <laughs> I mean, Oregon State didn't lose to Oregon last year. Um, I like the way they looked. I mean, that was a gutty win against uh, Washington. Um, they get Washington State this weekend. No, I think they're. I think they're the favorite. Like Oregon's just looked very beatable. Anthony Brown. I thought Anthony Brown was gonna have a big year. I just felt like he was gonna do something good. We saw he looked good against USC. He's been bad. He so. was really good against Ohio State. I was surprised
2: that he was really good against Ohio State. I was not was not sold on either of their quarterbacks last year. The what he did against USC were things that were wide open basically. Um he didn't really make those difficult throws. Yeah. And that's really something that hasn't happened in Oregon in a while. Even Justin Herbert would miss on a lot of throws and you know, there are times you just like—is this guy really a you know a first-round pick? I was surprised that he went in the first round and has been as good as he is. He's been phenomenal. He's been such a different player than he was at Oregon. Yeah. So, we're kind of wondering about the quarterback development there. Now, Joe Moorhead, I think, is a really good offensive coordinator. I think he has covered up a lot of the warts for Anthony Brown and using him last year against USC. I thought he did a really good job, but I wasn't sold that he was going to be a good quarterback.
0: Already, we have a couple more questions before we wrap it up. Poetry in Motion said, do you guys think Ishmael Swapsher plays anytime soon? Uh,
2: That's a relative term to be anytime soon. Um, Not before the bye week. Um, He's not going to play this weekend, though he did little by little, little by little. We saw him do some one-on-one reps this week, which is something we haven't seen in the past. Hopefully next week we'll see him do some team. That would give you a lot of positive momentum that he might be able to play by the Notre Dame game. And that would be big because Notre Dame is going to be a downhill rushing team, similar to Utah, but better rushing attack than Utah, uh, I think, even though they don't have a quarterback at Notre Dame.
0: I've got a question from Coley White who said, most interesting Pac-12 game this weekend, Stanford, Arizona State, Oregon State, other?
1: The Stanford-Arizona State game, uh, for sure, like that's the Friday night one, right, I believe? Um, yeah, I think that one's going to be – I mean, Arizona State – Usually Herm Edwards plays these games are really close. They've been blowing some teams out. They blew out, you know, UCLA. Didn't expect that. Uh, Stanford has been doing some unexpected things. I sort of feel like this is the week Arizona State's just going to get them. Um, and we, you know, Jaden Daniels. I think he's proven himself to be one of the better quarterbacks in the Pac-12. He's he's done, you know, some really good things. So I think that's a real interesting one. But USC Utah, obviously, that's a that's yeah, a big one. I think one the too.
2: USC one is the most interesting. I'm very intrigued by the the. Um Betting line for that Oregon State Washington State game. What's the line? It's like four and a half or four yeah. for Oregon State. And I'm like, I don't understand Washington State's boo boo.
1: Yeah. But, well they just they, But
2: Vegas must know something. Well, they, they always Vegas know something. Knows. Because
1: they beat a really bad Cal team. Like Cal's like inching down to like Arizona Colorado levels, which is really sort of disappointing because I love me some Chase Garbers, but man, they you know? they are bad. So we'll see. I mean, it's funny. Washington State's had a lead in the second half of every game. Like they it's crazy and then you know a bunch of blowouts but they didn't Cal didn't blow them out I think Oregon State can run all over them I think Nolan's gonna get it back going again he just had a bad game against uh Washington yeah I don't understand that one either I think they win by like two touchdowns
0: Robert says do you think Graham Harrell will get Kyle Ford and Joseph Manjack some touches this week
2: I would just go no based on last game. Manjack played, I think, two or three snaps total. And Ford did not play, even though he was dressed and available, it seemed. So that wouldn't lend me to believe that suddenly those guys are going to jump in.
0: We got a question from Trudon Sheridan who said, Do you think USC will be more balanced this weekend or back to the air raid, which got us into trouble with Oregon State?
2: I think the strength of this team is to run the ball more than they have in the past. I think they can run the ball much better than they have in the past, and I think that they are somewhat limited at the receiver position compared to where they were two years ago uh, with Pittman, Vons, Amon Ra, and Drake London being your fourth option as a freshman. Now, I think that could progress with Bryant, Washington, Trigg. If they continue to get better, I think that they can become a legitimate receiving core. But right now, it really feels like Drake London and – Hopefully, one other person will step up this game. Not like, oh, they've got four weapons. We've got to cover all the time. It's like, eh, Gary Bryan will probably get a touchdown, but he's going to do (laughs) anything else, even. Like, he had a touchdown against Oregon State and he had five catches for 22 yards. So, you know, they try to do some different things with him, but it just doesn't feel like they've been able to get a second option really going. So I think they need to run the ball more.
0: Yeah. I got a question from Brandon on Facebook who said, if USC and Oregon State are in the Pac 12 championship, does USC get that win the second time around?
1: That's a good one. Um, You're going to play in Vegas, so that's awesome. Uh, love that. I think I think the LA kids will do better in Vegas than the you know the Corvallis kids. But um, I think knowing that this team pushed you around, uh, and I think Oregon State put a lot into that game. They had a lot of confidence going into it. And maybe USC didn't take them seriously. I think USC could get them in the second time around. But um, I think it would be a, I think it would be a better game. But USC just kind of got blitzkrieg. I don't think they knew what to expect, and man, they just got pummeled.
2: I don't know. They just got worked so much <laughs> on the their defensive line. Their linebackers did nothing in that game. Their offensive line controlled every facet of that game. Just man on man blocking, and they destroyed USC. So that would give me serious pause to say that USC could turn things around. I mean, they played much better against Colorado. They dominated Colorado's offensive line. I'm talking like the first sack that Drake Jackson had, four guys beat their man. All four of the pass rushers beat their man. That's how good they were, and maybe that was just, you know, residual from the Oregon State game wanting to bounce back. I don't know, but they would have to play much better up front in that game for me to think that they could turn things around. I really hope USC goes and run just because we want to cover the first Pac-12 game in Vegas. Oh my God! Yeah, yes. I want to see the new stadium. I do. Hundred percent.
0: That'd be fun. Just the reporter things. All righty, gentlemen, it's time to wrap this one up. It's time for predictions. Ooh. One that I don't want to do because this one's always funky. How do you think this one's going to go, gentlemen?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be somewhat close, but like USC wins by like four or something like that, like a 27 23 kind of game, something something along those lines. Like I think something in the 20s. Uh, and I think USC will cover the spread, but just by a little.
2: I did not feel very confident from USC's practices this week. Huh? All right. It started with interesting. It
1: started with that, uh,
2: you know, Wednesday. If your head coach has to tell you that you're flat, then that's probably not a good thing. Um, so I got Utah at least covering.
1: Okay. At least covering. you think Utah's going to win? First, I don't first know. win ever? I don't trust either of these teams. Yeah, I don't, I don't trust the entire Pac-12, yeah. <laughs> that's also true.
2: But Utah, they're just not the team I expected them to be. I'm so disappointed in them, to be honest. I'm yeah. Like a you know a parent that catches their kid coming home too late, I'm so disappointed in you.
0: Are you mad or just disappointed? No, I'm just
2: I'm just disappointed in you. I'm not even I'm
0: not even mad. I'm I just
1: mean, you could see Utah getting it right. Like, oh, they had the bye week. Now Rising's got the you know he's not, now the the quarterback that's gone. He's gone. Rising's got the team, and they they come out and play well. You could see that, or they could come out and just lay an egg. Like it, who knows? And you know? no one knows what the mental
2: state will be of that team. So yeah. it's super difficult to try to figure out and. But again, I'm super disappointed in them. All the transfers they brought in, I was like, that's a good addition. That's a good Wow, that's a good addition. Yeah. And it's been like,
0: Meow. See, but is that uh, like a theory that too many transfers kind of messes up the chemistry?
2: And that's one of the things I've wondered, actually, the last few weeks is that, hey, they, they don't have the leaders in the locker room. And when you see Charlie Brewer or your starting quarterback, just be like, peace out. Can I get my football? I got the Wilson <laughs> right there. That one. That one's mine. Give me that. Uh, I got to go home.
1: On am Okay, I'm leaving.
2: Um, okay, bye-bye. That, you have a ton of questions in, but everyone rallies around rising. So that makes me wonder if, you know, he's the guy that needed to be there the whole time. Maybe he's less talented, but he's the guy everyone rallies around and maybe they'll play. I don't know that they're a super confusing team for me, even more so than I think any other team in the Pac-12.
0: Friendly reminder, if you're going to the Coliseum, you either need to be vaccinated or have a negative COVID test. Also, Carson Palmer will be honored at the game for his entrance into the College Football Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah, just and if you're out and if you're a VIP member to uscfootball.com, we're having a tailgate over at uh, Christmas tailgate. Tree Lane. So go to the Parastyle uscfootball.com, the message board of the Parastyle. The
0: details are there. And if
1: you're not a member, you can sign up for a buck. So just sign up and a you buck. get a free tailgate, free drinks and all that stuff. But come and out.
0: Traveler will be there. Traveler's
1: going to be there. So you want to get your the pictures with Traveler. Yeah. So uh come yeah. hang out with us. We're with our crew. Start about 2 o'clock, uh over there. But you can all the info is on You just the told them all the info, but yes. <laughs> They don't know exactly where this is. Okay, sure, is, sure. is turnover traveler going to be there? So.
0: Oh, mini! Pony. I can ask
1: Joanne. I'll, <laughs> Joanne, can you bring a little small? <laughs> I'll, I'll ask her. Can you bring a little small mini traveler? Because Chris turbino would love it.
0: Yes, and actually, I'm sure be she great. has one. Yeah. righty, gentlemen. Any final thoughts before we wrap this one up?
1: Uh, what was your pick? For the game, mm. Mm. called her out. <laughs> called her out. Darn
0: it! I should have just wrapped up the show. <laughs> I don't know. Usually, we finish the show and I like meditate a little bit on my pick for our picks of the week, and then I just send it in and don't think about it. So we'll see. That it's it, <laughs> hey, not an answer. That's it's not an It's answer. incentive to check out the article
1: that yes. Ryan posts every week. An yeah, I'll post our picks. Keely's see? five and zero, and her picks against five us. Five and zero.
0: Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So it's about to get broken, is what he's saying. No, I do I can, I can feel a little bit. Alrighty, righty. Uh, that's going to wrap it up. We'll be back on Sunday to recap the game. That's Ryan. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all on Sunday. Bye.